0: Log Talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this, the sum of that, the sum of everything. Come, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, this is another extra, extra Friday edition. Covering Scientology of Come Get Some. Um, as I mentioned yesterday uh, when promoting today's show, uh, I don't know what it's like uh, to be uh, gay in today's America, but I imagine it's not very easy to begin with, just in society in, in general. Uh, but some, something I'm pretty sure of based on the text written by L. Ron Hubbard himself and uh, things posted everywhere about what's within the doctrine – of Scientology is it's not a very gay friendly place. Um, I wouldn't really trust the word of, of Laura Prepon. She's a, um, actress on Orange is the New Black. She plays a lesbian. She's a paid TV lesbian, uh, who tells you that Scientology doesn't have a problem with, with homosexuality and a lot of people in the gay and lesbian community. Um, look up to her as sort of a role model and as somebody to to represent them, which is a shame uh, because she's like a lot of other celebrities in that Scientology celebrity bubble, she's only really concerned with herself uh, until proven otherwise. Uh, I do know uh, it is okay, I suppose, to be gay or lesbian or bisexual or any other orientation in Scientology if you're willing to put up with the torture and torment of being Convinced that you are nothing dirt, and worthless, and uh, you want to be convinced out of wanting to live. But don't listen to me on this. I don't understand it that much. Don't listen to Laura Prepon on it. She's not the authority on it. Don't listen to anybody but the people who can tell you what actually happens there, people who've actually been through it. Listen to Nora Crest in part one of my conversation about why you can't be gay. In Scientology. All right. So this person I have here today, I'm so happy to have because it's a it's, this is an important subject that hasn't been breached really heavily yet with all the exposure Scientology's had recently. Um, if you've been on social media, you might have seen her video, "Why You Can't Be Gay in Scientology." Um, she's here with me today. It's Nora Crest. Welcome to the show, Nora.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, I'm very happy to have you. Raging Buddha, is what yes. you go by on Twitter.
1: Um, oh wow. I had, to, I had to put a one in front of that because somebody else was already Raging Buddha and they never tweet. So that that makes me angry. It makes me more raging.
0: It does. You know, you know, come get some was as a Twitter account from like uh, three years ago, and it has two tweets.
1: See, isn't I that was annoying? Like, pretty, don't pretty seem cool, and then don't use it, right? It's you
0: know I mean yeah exactly. <laughs> now as of this recording, uh, we 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 just uh, sat through a 2020 report last night. Um, yes. Uh, from Leah Remini was on there and and I couldn't tell was
1: she legitimately upset with the host? Do you think? Um, I think that was a little bit of like uh, a
0: little tongue in cheek,
1: brooklyn esque joking around at the end. I don't think she's genuinely pissed off with Dan Harris because you know. He's, he's despite the fact that people like myself, born into Scientology, and who had to like literally ex, escape, um, I, I felt he could have done a better job. But for people who don't know anything about Scientology, that was pretty telling interview that he did with the church's lawyer and with Leah, um, also. But no, I don't. She definitely wasn't mad at him, I'm gonna say that. Like that was total- you saw her face at the end, yeah. she was laughing and joking around.
0: Yeah. I was actually trying to live tweet so I wasn't looking up. <laughs> I didn't see it. Oh no, yeah. She
1: totally was she was completely laughing. I was live tweeting also when it came on on the you know, I had to wait for the West Coast feed. Um, so people had already sent me their initial reactions right to the show. And the only thing that didn't happen I mean, I was interviewed for almost two hours for the show. And um, they didn't use any of it, and they didn't use any of it this morning on uh, Good Morning America weekend. And that's fine. I mean, they have two hours of me in the can that they could just throw out at a random time. I don't know when it's going to happen or if it will happen. but um, And there was a lot more they did with Serge. I mean, I know that they interviewed him for four hours on the same day that they interviewed me. And the amount of information about his story that came out, I'm going to say, is like 1%. Um, Of his story. Of his story, which is a very harrowing, probably one of the worst uh, stories I've ever heard because the thing that's happening now with Leah's show that's so tremendously good is Going Clear, uh, first the book uh, by uh, Lawrence Wright really opened the floodgates kind of on um, people openly talking about Scientology. The media started talking about it. Um, and without fear of repercussion, because before people just wouldn't do articles, they wouldn't do interviews about it, because the the Scientology is just so sue happy that they'll, you know, they just didn't want to deal with all that hullabaloo. And so when Going Clear came out, they really didn't have anything to sue over, because they literally gave Lawrence Wright thousands of documents that he used from Scientology itself right. to make the book. So they basically gave him. Uh, the book, and then when the film came out, I thought it was really well done, Um, but when I saw the screening of the film, I thought, uh, before it hit HBO at LACMA here in Los Angeles, and both Lawrence Wright and Alex Gibney were at the screening, and they did a little Q&A after, and um, at the after party, I cornered both of them, and I said, okay, this is great, but where's my story? Like, not me specifically, but where are the thousands Of second and third generation Scientologist stories. Not one second or third generation Scientologist was interviewed for either the book or the film. And Spanky Taylor just brushes on it so quickly in her story. You know, her with was covered with the flies and stuff and then she runs away with her baby, which is great that her story has a happy ending, but there are literally thousands of us out here who grew up in Scientology and escaped from it who had no childhood, no education, um, were abandoned by their parents at, at as young as 13 years old because they didn't want to be in the C organization. And when you get kicked out of the C organization, they give you $500 and say, good luck. You know, and imagine being a 13, 16-year-old kid with $500 in your pocket with no family to turn to. Right. And you're supposed to make it on your own. And you have no education. You don't even know how to apply for a job or what, uh, you know, I mean... It's it's really bad. These kids don't know anything. I mean, I know kids who were Scientology kids who started working the Sea Org as young as 12 years old. They signed the billion-year contract that when they left, when they were adults, didn't know what the three branches of government were.
0: Because the education's not that strong. Yeah,
1: no. Because what they do, uh, two major things they do for kids, because <clears throat> they like to recruit children because they consider them to be pure. They haven't had time to accumulate crimes. Uh, against themselves or humanity and these crimes range from anything from masturbation which is a crime um to actual crimes like stealing things or or you know robbing someone or punching you know assaulting someone or something like that but because when you're a kid you haven't had the years to accumulate bad things you're a better candidate to mold um into their scientological dream person which is basically a zombie robot and um when these kids get recruited, they're all told, oh, you're going to get an education, and you're going to have the best education, and you're going to get to train to become a Scientology auditor full-time. and It's all like dreams and rainbows and music. And then it turns into a, like a nightmare, and you never get the job that they offered you when they were recruiting you. It's like, never. And you end up in some menial task job.
0: But, but it's your uh, fault. You
1: know, filing... What?
0: It's your fault you didn't get it, is it. Though? Oh, right, yeah.
1: right, because you weren't really qualified. Or, or somebody needs someone somewhere else in, in the organization, so you're a free body, so they just shove you over there. And um, what they like to do, because they skirt all of the laws, obviously if you have children working for you, there are very strict laws in this country on child labor in every state. And um, so they do uh, one of two things. They either send you to a special there was one here in Los Angeles called Larry Dennison's Academy and this guy literally just gave you the GED test over and over and over until you got it all right and just helped you learn the answers to the GED test. So you can wow. go in and sit down and robotically repeat all of the correct answers for the GED and then get a GED so then therefore you could become an emancipated minor and you're done with school so you don't have to you know follow those labor laws you can be 13 and work. 15 hours a day cool. or the other option is to get these kids married. Now, a lot of times, um, uh, children were marrying children. Like my ex-husband, his first wife, cause he joined when he was 12, his first, uh, he got married at 14 to, I believe I, maybe she was 15 or 16, but they were, you know, they were both teenagers and they got married. And what happens when children get married is then legally they become an emancipated minor. So then you don't even have to get the GED because now you can just work full time because you're considered legally an adult once you're married. But the gross thing that happens is when the children aren't marrying each other and you have, uh, I can't even, you know, it's too many to count instances of 25 to 35-year-old men marrying 15, 16-year-old girls, which is totally okay in the church because the church looks at children as immortal spiritual beings in a teeny tiny body. So you're really a bajillion years old person. It doesn't matter that your body is eight. You can work. You can you can get married when you're 15 because that's totally normal, you know.
0: Well, this is a – before I ask you some questions on just this portion of what you've been saying, um, one good thing about me versus Dan Harris is is he's required to exhibit some level of journalistic integrity. <laughs> 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 so I can have an opinion. Um, Wow, so, so I think uh, a couple things came out of what you just said there that maybe it jumped out at me. Um, uh, one of those things, I'm almost forgetting the first thing that came up, but, but the most recent thing you were talking about with the whole age difference and the little yeah. people is, uh, yeah, it actually goes, excuse me, goes together with what you said before was that uh, younger people are easier uh, to do brainwash, basically. And oh, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, because they're pure, because they're clean, but the truth is, um, based on Serge's story last night, which which I think is good that his story got covered because, you know, I, I don't want it to be at your expense, but uh, people are hearing your story. Oh,
1: I would have been 100% okay if they cut all everything of mine and they just went and just did Serge's story for an hour. I would have been totally fine with that.
0: Yeah, I mean the the thing about about his story is, is, is it's eye-opening because basically what you learn from this is not only um, not only are you wrong for being gay in your case, but just in general, an innocent child walking in, oh, I'm seven or I'm ten, I haven't done anything. No, 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 no. Reach back. <laughs> right. You did something right. sometime in in the last two centuries you you did yeah, something I mean, you have
1: to it, this, that's the ridiculousness of it because when you get into the past life scenario it is i mean obviously when you're doing it, you believe it because you' you've been indoctrinated since first that you are reincarnated, so you know you've lived before as a Scientology kid that is a one hundred percent Certainty in your life that you are not just whomever you're being this lifetime. You have existed for millions of lifetimes, and so you already know that as a kid. So thinking about past lives is like, oh yeah, of course. Let's talk about my past life. Let's talk about when I was a, you know, a cowboy in the 1850s (laughs) riding on a ranch. You know, like it's normal to you. In the same way that a Christian, it's normal that you're, they're staring at Jesus on a cross with the crucifixion and the blood and the, you know, and oh, I'm going to go take communion. Let me drink Jesus' blood and eat his flesh and this is normal. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I remember the first time I went, my grandmothers were both uh, Christian. One was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist and the other one was Episcopalian. And the first time I, they made me take communion even though I wasn't baptized. But the first time the priest, you know, the minister says to me, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, I was like, excuse me, what now? What's happening? You know, like, that freaked me out. Well, it's symbolic, was like, but yeah, we, I get it. Yeah, I know, it's symbolic, but that, they didn't say to me, this is the symbolic blood of Christ. Right. Like, Here's the blood of Christ, and they're shoving wine down my throat. I was like, what is happening? You know, and I got it explained to me later, but, you know, every religion, and, and I, don't, I hesitate to say this because this is the number one thing that pisses me off when people are like, well, Scientology is just as crazy as every other religion. No. Yes and no. Yes, there are every religion has in it aspects that if you look at it from a scientific and logical bu- viewpoint, obviously these things are kind of ridiculous and fantastical. But the difference I want to say between like uh, Catholicism as it exists right now, not you know uh, the Inquisition days, okay, but as Catholicism exists today versus Scientology today. Catholicism is not kidnapping people, is not recruiting children yeah. to become priests and take confessions from people, you know. Um, and then use them. And Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, you know, you sit down in a Catholic church and you confess something to the priest, he's like, all right, go do five Hail Marys, see you later. Like, he's not keeping notes, he's not recording it. Right. He's not going to be like, oh, you just confessed this last week, buddy. I'm going to play it back for you, you know, like no that's it move on move forward with your life you know and that's the difference in Scientology you're sort of like you become like um screw you know uh Jacob Marley in the Scrooge story like carrying those chains of all of your past misdeeds around because you never forget them even though Scientology claims it erases um the energy connected with bad incidents and things like that what ends up happening is the complete opposite instead of erasing these things and being free from them you know misdeeds you did or whatever you're carrying that around with you because you know everybody in the church knows what you did because they all talk about it even though they're not supposed to right Uh, you know so you so you actually become worse because now everything you do you're thinking about oh shit like last week in session I just talked about stealing candy bars and now I just stole another fucking candy bar and I'm like a terrible person and so you never like, you actually never move forward. You only become worse. So that's the, that's the real lie about Scientology. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't know if people get better with Catholicism. I've known a lot of Catholics. They seem like super decent people to me. So, you know, that's, uh, from experience, they're pretty nice people, you know. Yeah. Scientologists, not so much.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting you say that because there's different levels. There's, you know, I, I always said that the, there's two kinds of people that scare me more than anything else. And that's religious fanatics and atheists. And, you know, there's no. It, I like that happy medium of maybe there's something there, but I'm not going to force anything on you. I think the creepiest thing I ever experienced in my life was, is Jesus. Christ, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and I'm like, no, right. man, he saved everybody. I'm not selfish. <laughs> you know,
1: it was, it was a more of a more all-inclusive thing. You know, that's not my religious fanatics of any ilk are, are basically the same because you're yeah. the only ones that have an answer and everyone else is wrong and if yep. you don't do their solution you're going to die a terrible horrible death that you know, you don't want to die from and that's the common denominator in all fanatics whether they're Muslim, Christian Scientologists, you know the only people who don't have things like that honestly are Buddhists and Taoists, like there's no like hellfire for reason for right. <laughs> right. like, eh, so you're a bad person, okay well, you know Move on. Right? Well, I think... There's no, like, thing... I mean, in Buddhism, it's like you're doing what you're doing, and you're supposed to just be there um, in the moment. And so if you're in a moment that you're doing bad shit, maybe you should look at that and go, hey, I'm doing bad shit. I should stop that. And that's Buddhism, like, in a nutshell. (laughs) Right? Scientology, where you're, you know, you're in your head, and that's the real insidiousness of Scientology, is that in the same way that I think some religious Christian religious fanatics like just basically insert the entire Bible into their mind and so everything that they do is they have to be doing what the Bible says, you know? Right. And so they get really, really ridiculous that stuff. It's the same thing with Scientology. They literally cannot make a decision without going through multiple things in their mind uh, Scientologically to figure out what is the best scenario. So they're never thinking for themselves. They're always thinking as Scientology would have them think.
0: Yeah, I mean, and looking back last night of 2020, a lot of people complained that they thought that Monique Engling um, was uh, was being, avoiding and lying, which she clearly was. But I felt like in a way, some of her answers, because there is no defense of some of these things, uh, she kind of buried it on her own a little bit.
1: Well, my favorite thing that she said was when Dan Harris pointed out uh, the the motto, essentially, of CCHR, Citizens Commission on Human Rights, uh, that is the Scientology Front Group, that psych- psychiatry is the industry of death. I mean, it's yeah. literally like the title of their museum, Psychiatry, the Industry of Death. And she's like, well, that's more of a catchphrase. And he's like, but they're saying it's an industry of death. Like, how is that a catchphrase? Like, <laughs> Right? I mean, she... And, and I, if I were Dan Harris, I would have said to her, okay, Monique, you've been defending the church now for how long? 25, 27 years. Great. And, you know, you're telling me how great it is. How come you've never been a member? How come your kids aren't in the Sea org? I was thinking that last night. Right? I mean, like, there's so many good questions that I, I know it could be considered tongue-in-cheek and, you know, a little sarcastic, but you know what? That lady's sitting there blatantly, in some respects, lying because what she's saying about, uh, you know, disputing things on the uh, Johannesburg sex check and stuff, those are lies because they're not true, but she's actually not lying because she doesn't know. But she's, she's not saying she
0: knows. She's saying she knows. Yeah, she's, uh, because she's been told. Right, she's been told. Like, oh, that's very that's, told. That's, that's, That can be used in court, right? <laughs> I've been told. <laughs>
1: you know? My aunt, who is um, in in the legal world profession, um, She was, like, screaming at her TV, like, you're an officer of the court. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Like, you can't, you know, you just can't... Being a lawyer is is a serious job. It's not, you know, I mean, it's similar to the medical profession where you do take an oath to uphold the laws and, you know, um, to the best of your ability. And this woman is just sitting there looking like a lump of clay that's been reheated in a microwave (laughs) and, you know, uh, just like, well, you know, I've been told this and these people are all liars and all of them are making money. And it's the number one thing that the church likes to say, that anyone who speaks out is a paid professional apostate. It's like, okay, um, if that's true, I will right now give my address out so that this uh, check that I'm supposed to be getting can come to me because I could use it. <laughs> like, This is serious people who are supposedly paying people like me to uh, speak out. Uh, please tell me where to sign up. I will send you my info because, uh, yeah, you know. It, this is not a money making thing. I make zero dollars from uh you know putting videos out on the internet or even doing this interview with you i mean you 're not paying me any money so i'm this is a passion project because of what I went through growing up in Scientology and working for them um, in the C organization and getting sent to their basically their concentration camp, the rehabilitation project force and People have to know, and thats I'm frustrated last night that this didn't get covered. I mean, I talked about the RPF for, like, a second. Yeah. But um, in my interview, um, I was interviewed on the other side of the big blue building, and I was pointing out to them, here's where the RPF sleeps. Here's where they do this. Here's where this. I mean, I was showing them, like, on the building, like, literally, why don't you call the fire department and get, like, them to come in here right now and let's see the conditions. Wow. I promise you. They could condemn that whole place.
0: Do, do you but think... the
1: problem is... What?
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: The problem with that is is that they, you know, when an inspection is going to come, because we had them, um, they know ahead of time, because they have people within the fire department, in the police department, mm. especially in Los Angeles and in Clearwater, that they have made big donations to. They make a point of getting on the police activities league in their local area and so they will get a heads up from their friendly neighborhood officer oh you guys are going to have an inspection tomorrow you know might want to make sure everything's a uh, ship shape kind of a thing and if somebody wanted to do something honestly dear FBI I don't know yeah. what they're doing not doing something but if the FBI got together with like Los Angeles uh, you know the chief here Charlie Beck and um, the captain of the the fire department, if they got a warrant and I promise you this, if they got a warrant and simultaneously walked into uh the blue buildings there on and Hubbard Way and Celebrity Center International and just said, First of all, I want to see every single person that works here, I want to see their IDs right now And they would find that they have uh children working there illegally, they have people whose R one visas who are, are expired, who are basically been human trafficked because they're not allowed to go back to their home country. Um and they're just working completely illegally. Uh, the living conditions will be filled with cockroaches and bad water and bad food, mm. and it, it, it will be like like walking into a third world, essentially, where people have so little possessions they don't know anything of the outside world. And Mike, Mike Rinder has said this before, like, well, what if the FBI raided, you know, the int base and just set it rate free? Those people are so scared of David Miscavige and the possible consequences, they would all say... Oh, I love it here. It's, my, it's great. And that's why you have to ignore what people are saying and just go by the evidence. Look at their ID. Contact their parents. Contact their family and say, is this your daughter? What is she doing here? You know, and, and find out because there are people who their family members haven't seen them for years. They don't even know where they are. You know, And it, it has to be shut down because it's not a religion. It's no. not a religion. It's a cult and everybody hates that word, um, but it, it is a mind control, brainwashed cult that is literally engaging in human trafficking, uh, pedophilia, you know, uh, it just, it, all these things get swept under the rug. I mean, I could tell you right now three cases that I know, just because I brought up pedophilia, of statutory rape that happened that were never reported to the police because the church takes the rapists, and gives them confessionals and makes him do an amends project to the church and then takes the victims who are, you know, ninety nine percent of the time girls, and says, You're a you know, you're a whore slut who seduced this fifty year old man even though you're fourteen yep. and you're a terrible human and you need to go away. And then they rehabilitate the disgusting pedophile statutory rapist and put him back in a position of power within the church. Where he's then again around young people and can strike again and often do. And it, it, it is so rampant. Like Serge was starting to touch on that uh, last night when he was talking about how children are trained yeah. to do these confessionals with adults. It's child abuse. They're putting kids in the position of being a therapist for adults. I mean, imagine you're, you've just now paid, uh, I think the price now is up to $3,100 per hour to get this therapy from Scientology. So just imagine you've just paid for five hours of therapy. Okay, this is like 15, six, you know, 15500 bucks, And you walk into this room that you paid $15,000 to be in, and there's a 14-year-old kid there who's going to now ask you about the most private thoughts in your yeah. mind and ask it repeatedly over and over and over until you give the nitty-gritty details of everything in your life.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: that's just that's just insane. It's insane, but it's not illegal because they skirt all these laws, and this kid is probably married, and, you know, so they're an emancipated minor. So it's not illegal. There's nothing, as far as I know, any law anywhere that says a 14-year-old can't be a therapist, you know. But they can be married? They should be, but... There, there's a law that a, can, a 14-year-old can be married? As long as you have your parents' permission, I think there's only a couple states that you can't get married as a minor in. In so California, bizarre. as long as your parents sign on the dotted line, you can get married.
0: So as long as your parents are idiots. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, let me backtrack a little bit, because you're covering yeah. a lot of ground. You're covering a lot of ground. It's, it's all great. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Do you think 2020 bent over backwards to try to look like they were being fair? Do you think that's part of the problem with last night's uh, report?
1: Partially, because the church so rarely allows a spokesperson on camera now. So they just, you know, they were just peeing their pants that, you know, the lawyer was going to come on and talk something. So quite literally at the last second, they sent Monique Yingling in, you know, like, you know, she's their golden boy who's going to, like, handle all of this mess for them. And as not you can so see, much. she was completely unprepared yeah, to answer any questions. She just kept saying, well, that's not true. And I've I've been told the exact opposite of that. And these things have never happened. It's just like, really? And I love that Dan Harris actually did a follow-up. Like, so all of these people are lying? Like, yes, they're all lying or exaggerating. And that was interesting. That should have been a follow-up, too. Oh, they're exaggerating. So some of this stuff happened? Which stuff did happen? Which part is being exaggerated? Like, that was a really good follow-up. Yeah. He opened the door right there. It's like, in some, you know... in some ways, I don't know, maybe Dan Harris needs to watch more like Law and Order, because I would have thought of that follow-up on the spot, and of I'm course. not a professional journalist, but I watched a lot of Law and Order, and I've seen Prod <laughs> on TV, where if somebody opens up the door in their answer, you can ask the leading questions at that point, because they put it out there. They threw, you know, they threw the bait out there, and she definitely definitely did that um, in the interview last night. I also would have asked her, is she on something? Because what is happening with her There's
0: face? something going on. She doesn't look right.
1: No, I mean, and it's like, I, I feel for her as a woman. I'm not very good at putting on makeup. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a glamour <laughs> kind of person. So when I saw her makeup, I was literally like, oh, sweetie, like, I can't believe the ABC people were like, we need to fix this. They just let her go on looking like she just rolled out of a bar and just sort of like yeah. smashed her face Tammy Faye Baker style into a, like a makeup kit, and then just sat down. I mean, I, I guess in some ways, I'm happy they did that because they can now the world can just see. Look at this woman. This is not a credible
0: human. Do you think? Human. Do you think she's just exhausted with this over th- 27 years and 30 years or so?
1: I don't. I don't think that the millions of dollars that she's made defending the church is exhausting. Right. Yeah. It's
0: a, it, I've always made that this argument. Is her
1: cash cow. This is her cash cow. Scientology. I've I mean, always she's got multiple homes. You know, she's obviously put her kids into nice schools. She has nice things. I mean, you looked at her bag; she's got nice stuff. This is a great gig for her. Yeah. Every once in a while, she's got to roll out of bed and say everyone's a liar, and then you know, go to court <laughs> and vehemently defend uh, Scientology's right to be a religion when they're not a religion, and keep them. You know, I mean, she was a key component in getting them their tax exempt status in the '90s, and uh, I, I, you know if you watch Going Clear obviously they go over the blackmail and other things that yeah. they were basically doing as a tactic against the IRS and it's like why I this is what's wrong with our government in general and this is so off topic but why didn't the IRS go to anyone else in the government the FBI the CIA you know there wasn't Homeland Security then but you know and somebody would say look at these crazy people they are trying to take us down because we're saying they're not a church like we should investigate the shit out of these guys. Yep. had they done that, had they had some falls, they would have just investigated the hell out of Scientology and seen all the crazy shit that had been going on in the 80s.
0: Okay, guys, this, as you know, is a pre-recorded, Miss um, if you know, this is a pre-recorded conversation with Nora Crest, uh, something that's never really happened on the show because it's always pre-recorded almost. There is a call coming in. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to answer this. I'm very curious to see who's trying to call in the middle of my Nora Crest interview. So uh, let's see what this is. Hi. Hello, you're on the air on Come Get Some. Who am I speaking with?
2: Uh, this is Kayla. Hello. Hello.
0: Hi, Kayla. Hi. Hello.
2: Hi. Um, I was calling. We'll you before you say? I was calling regarding CCHR.
0: CCHR?
2: Yeah, um, Citizens Commission on Human Rights. Uh-huh. And actually, a lot of the information is backed up that they speak of from, like, outside sources, and they get a lot of their information from outside sources, too. Who,
0: who are we speaking about?
2: Um, Citizens Commission on Human Rights.
0: No, no, who, 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 whose information is backed up? Are you saying uh, people who are ex-Scientologists' claims are backed up, or are you saying Scientology's claim is backed up?
2: Um, I know very little about Scientology, but that's not really CCHR's expertise. They're mostly on stuff like human rights.
1: Okay, Regarding, All right. like, and I,
2: and I see psychiatry, and, like, prison rights.
0: Okay. So so I I, I do apologize, and, and I don't know if my listeners are with me on this, but I'm really still unclear on what you're trying to tell me. Could you please clarify a little bit? You, I know you sound mm-hmm. a little nervous, and that's okay. I'll wait for you to get yourself together, and then and, and tell me what you're trying to tell me, because I really want to know what you have to say.
2: Oh, well, Scientology, actually, I don't know a lot about that, but I do you know a lot about PCHR, and a lot of that is backed up by credible um, sources, and including psychiatry. Psychiatry, a lot of their interviews are with psychiatry on as far as having no proof, really, to back up what they're saying, and a lot of lawsuits that happened regarding the dangers of psych medications have actually come life. Oh, to I see what
0: you're saying. Okay, all right. Uh Kayla? Taylor, right? Yes. Okay, let me ask you to do something for me because I am in. This is actually a pre-recorded interview that interrupted to answer the call because I wanted to see who was calling in.
2: Oh yeah, I, um, I typically do me a when favor. I'm ca- Oh, can I tell you? Can no, I go ahead. One go one ahead.
0: Finish your finish your point. Yeah.
2: Okay, I. That's just kind of like a lot of times if I'm listening to a show on
0: yep.
2: one of these kind of things like a podcast, I'll call in. Yep. And then at some point. When they take questions, I'll, I, I, like, just call in ahead of time to get my spot so, like, it's easier uh, yeah. I don't have to transfer from, like, listening on, like, a device to my phone. And also okay. I do it so I make sure in case a lot of calls come in that I, I get a chance to speak.
0: Okay. Well, do me a favor because I, I, am not a, I, I am not a podcast that will stop people from talking regardless of whether I agree with you or not. I have a I have a phone number I'm sorry an email address for this show uh, CGS here at gmail.com please email me and we'll set up a time to actually talk one on one if you want on the air we can actually get this done and you know I, I need to get on with the interview though I do apologize
2: oh yeah we we can we can definitely talk later on one on one um yeah and I understand you have to get on with the interview is there any chance at some point like at towards the at the end when it's done that we can talk on air because this is just like really important stuff. And I'd really appreciate getting the opportunity to share it.
0: Well, well, I'm willing to do um, uh, whatever is necessary, except for uh, at the end of the interview, I will actually be picking my child up for school. Uh, But that's why I want you to email me so we can set this up and have like a real discussion. You can have time to put your thoughts together and we can have a real conversation and really uh, get to it and see what's what. If that uh, if that sounds fair to you,
2: oh yeah, that's completely understandable. You've stuff to do, um, but would there be? Do you think there's a possibility that we could talk on air at some point?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. There, um, email me, email the show cgs here at, at gmail.com, and we'll set something up.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks
0: a lot. No problem. You take care. Uh, take care, Kayla.
2: Okay. Thanks. Thank you
0: Okay, so that was that was interesting. Um, let's go ahead and continue with uh, Nora was saying the interview, and um, uh, I'll well, I'm going to set something up with Kayla, and we'll hear her side, which I, I'm curious to see with uh, where that conversation will go. Otherwise, uh, let's get back to to Nora's story.
1: Scientology owed over a billion dollars, a billion dollars in back taxes, which was forgiven uh. after they got the taxes. It was they retroactively forgave. The past debt, and the truth of the matter is, as Marty Raffin laid out, if that had if that had not happened, and we, and Scientology was forced to pay that, that's it. They would have been over. They would have, they wouldn't have been able to pay it. Now those back then taxes, have given over all their assets, and then they would have been defunct.
0: Those back taxes, they they actually are part of the whole reason L. Ron Hubbard was on the run. Is that not correct? He, yes.
1: Yeah, he, he created he that was on the run in the '60s, which is why he formed the C organization in the first place. The story he gives Scientologists and, of course, the ERG members is that he was studying the higher levels of Scientology and this required him to be, you know, in the middle of the ocean so that he wasn't uh, burdened by society's noise so that he could clearly, you know... Hear the, the irs <laughs> and, and And really, he was, not only was he running from the IRS, he owed taxes in England. They had kicked him out. Pretty much, um, if it, uh, one person to really talk to one time is Hannah Whitfield. She was in Going Clear, and I met her in Toronto um, in 2015 at a conference that I spoke at. And she's one of the best humans I've ever met in real life. But she worked with L. Ron Hubbard on the uh, ship called the Apollo when he started the sea organization. And the stories that she's got of, of that guy during that time period, I mean, it's just nuts, though. And um, mm. the things they were doing. But they were literally being kicked out of every port that they stepped in. They were just making a terrible name for themselves all throughout the Mediterranean because people were like, you're not paying your fees. You're ca-, you know, people were causing trouble in town, um, you know, and Elrond Hubbard was so, like, eccentric. He had a Jaguar, was it a Jaguar? Anyway, some car right. he carried on one of the ships that had to be, like, crane lifted, you know, down onto the deck uh, in the port so that he could drive around wherever they were. He had to have that in his little motorcycle and all these things. But yet, the people working for him were getting paid nothing. They're eating beans and rice. They're living in squalor on these ships that are like rust buckets in the middle of the ocean that they're just patching up as they go along. You know. And he's got motorcycles and cars and all these fancy clothes and fancy food. And it's the same thing for David Miscavige now. David Miscavige's suits, when you see him, those are like five, $6,000 suits that he's wearing that are custom tailored for him. An average Seeroyer member is lucky to get three uniform parts like three shirts and maybe two pairs of pants that they have to use for like ever and you're and on top of that you're getting paid 35 to 50 dollars a week when you're getting paid and you have to pay for your own dry cleaning out of that wow and everything else is personal for you as a woman you have to buy all your personal hygiene products you have to buy your own shampoo deodorant razors you know and then it's like you want a coca-cola to like spice it up at uh, lunch or whatever you have to buy that too and you have to, you know, if you work at Celebrity Center, you've got to pay full price at the, can- at the, you know, there's no canteen for the crew members, so you've got to go to the cafe and pay that $3 for that Coke it's like but everybody else does. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And now they've, they've worded the um, contracts that people sign in such a way where one of the points that you sign off on is basically you're saying, I am uh, a volunteer, I don't expect to be paid ever, and if I get paid, it's like a super bonus, and that's okay with me, and I will never ask for back pay or become disgruntled about pay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, which is, I don't even know what company you could go to work for where that would even be legal to have you sign something like that. No. Like, can you imagine applying for a job at McDonald's and they're like, well, technically you're a volunteer at McDonald's and if you get paid, that's just great. But if we just give you burgers, you have to accept that also. Like...
0: And the idea is if you go to complain about it, they you know if you go to police or anybody, you sign paperwork, you agree to this agreement right. this is your right this because is your willingness to do this
1: and you're signing also additionally, they have you sign away on that same document, your right to sue them for anything at any time ever
0: right, which I don't believe is enforceable if I'm not mistaken
1: i um. I hope not because that's just you know i'm not a I'm not a student of the law, so I can't say um. You know, for sure whether or not that's legal, but I hope that our system of laws, you know, would see that as something that's just too insane to be to agree to, and that you know, like no, okay. you can't agree to that.
0: Yeah, I, I just wish I was making the money Tony Ortega was based on what I saw on Twitter this morning. they were saying he uh, he's a bigot and a paid anti-Scientologist, and I. <laughs> And I was just like, does that make me a fool? Because for my efforts, I haven't made a dime. I don't think ill of Tony. I just wonder what I've done wrong that I'm not making any money yet. <laughs> it's like, like, where could I cash in? You know what I mean? It's uh, it's so silly. Um, I, and I want I to use. I don't know
1: anybody who's made a tremendous amount of money off of Scientology. No. I don't know how much Lawrence Wright got paid for his uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning book. <laughs> right. Um, I'm sure he, you know, he's a Pulitzer Prize author, so I'm sure whatever his going rate is per book, I'm sure he got that. I hope he got himself a sweet back-end deal where he's getting some percentage of, you know, other stuff and the movie rights and things like that. But that's normal. I mean, that was like when Dan Harris brought that up to Leah, he's like, well, you know, you're you're getting paid as a producer. If I were Leah, and I thought she handled it pretty classically, I would have been like, Dan. You're a reporter. Are you getting paid right now to talk to me? Right. Oh, you have a job and you're doing it and you get paid? That's called America. Like, this is so stupid. Like, yes, she's a producer on a television show. Uh, please raise your hand, producers of television shows who don't get paid to produce a television show. I'd like to meet that person.
0: You know, I mean, that's, I never I dumbest thing ever. I never cared if anyone made money. In fact, I hope people make money. Uh, uh fighting Scientology I mean all, all that was taken from you guys during your time in there you are entitled to some kind of retribution <laughs> you know what i mean you, you're not you're not gonna get you get reparations I mean so you might as well for your efforts be compensated. I don't care if anyone well, I, makes listen, money
1: I agree with you i mean at one point after after you leave the c organization, no matter how long you've been in there. They send you a bill for all of the studies that you did. The freeloader bill? Okay. Yeah, your freeloader debt. And they, they itemize it out, and they show you every course you ever did and every process you received and how much that cost and all this stuff. So you have this whole huge thing. And I, when I first left, I was very much, like, uh, cowed to them still. And I didn't have a lot of money. I barely had a job. I was just really kind of trying to hold myself together. And so I agreed to pay... $10 um, a month towards this bill which was like $37,000 which of course would take me like five lifetimes to pay off at $10 a month. Right. <laughs> but, I, but, but they were like oh good you're flowing money this is good this is positive. And then one week the person who had my debit card information like debited me like four times like $40 and I was so broke at the time that overdrafted me. And so I got an alert from my, you know, my bank like you're overdrafted and, you know, all this. like now I'm a terrible person and I'm thinking, oh, my God, like the government's going to come get me. I overdrafted my account. Right. Like I am just freaking out. So I contacted them and I wrote a report on her and all this stuff and she got in trouble. But um, then they contacted me and wanted my new debit card information. And I was like, you know what, I'll send you a check when I can. And then that was <laughs> like sort of like the first thing that happened to me that sort of opened up the doors for me to start looking at things. And then I started getting really like bitter, like, wait a minute. I owe you $37,000. Let's just think about this. Like, okay, what's minimum wage, you know, in the 90s? It was like, what, $5.25 an hour or some bullshit. Something like that. So I added up, I gave myself a work week. I was being generous of 80 hours and uh, not charging any overtime for the weekends or anything. And so I calculated out, like, you know, $5.25 at the five uh, years that I spent at Celebrity Center. And then I even docked my pay-by-half for the almost three years I spent on the RPS because when you get on the RPS, <laughs> you go to quarter pay. So if you're mm. getting paid $50 a week, you go down to $11.25 a week. And you're working and harder. The taxes have been taken out per week. You get $11.25 while you're working 10 to 15 hours a day doing manual labor. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly disgusting. So I calculated all this out, out, how much money they had paid me, how much money all the courses had cost, and then uh, how much it costs to berth me every night, because the building that they owned um, has now been turned into a restaurant and hotel that I lived in. It was called the Wilcox at the time. But it cost 10 cents a night to berth people there, because you had between 8 and 10 people per room, 6 to 10 people, because depending on the size of the room. And um, wow. because they owned it, it was so cheap, you know, because they bought it in the 70s. It really cost them nothing uh, it was literally ten cents a night because you had three hundred people living there, and and packed in these rooms like sardines and stuff. So I calculated all this out, and then versus what I would have made had they been paying me minimum wage for all those hours, and I was like, actually, you guys owe me like twenty-five thousand dollars. So if you want to like send that in a check, or I could just pick it up out of your petty cash, <laughs> and I literally <laughs> like sent them this letter, and that was sort of the start of me uh, getting. Uh, deemed suppressive because I had the balls to say, "Mm, I think you actually owe me money, you know, which they did not like.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you how far you got up the bridge, but I think it's pretty clear that you didn't go up the bridge.
1: Oh, no, no. I did. Oh, you Um, did? I was, I was a unicorn in Scientology.
0: A unicorn?
1: (laughs) Yeah. When I was a kid, um, When I was 13, I started doing courses with my mom. We were working together in the course room, and we did um, method one, which is a word... It's like they put you on the e-meter, and they rattle off a list of subjects to you, like science, math, blah, 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 all these things. And if you get a reaction on the e-meter, you're trying to find all the words you don't understand in that subject. And the goal of this process is that now you will have complete understanding on all subjects at all times, even though you haven't studied them. Magically, you know about it. And then the course you usually do right after that is called the Student Hat, which is a course designed to teach you the study techniques of Scientology and to teach you how to be a student. Okay. So while I was on the Student Hat, uh, I got offered some free processing because a student auditor needed uh, somebody to do this processing on. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. So we were doing it, um, the process is called the Objective Processes, but now it's called the Survival Rundown. But anyway, they just like to rebrand things constantly nowadays. And during these processes, um, I had the realization that I was clear, which of course is the goal of Dianetics, which was the first book um, that L. Ron Hubbard wrote, sort of started the whole thing off. And a clear in that book is defined as an individual who no longer has his own reactive mind. And the reactive mind is like where, according to L. Ron Hubbard, all a traumatic and bad incidents are stored. And then they react upon you uh, when you least expect it. Like the example they give most commonly, like, as a kid, if you got bit by a dog, um, and then as an, then later as an adult, if you see a similar dog, you would get like a pain Uh, in your arm where you got bit, because your reactive mind (laughs) is reacting upon you, telling you, oh, dog, watch out, you're going to get bit. Um, So you get rid of that mind, that portion of your mind that is reactionary and not logical. So I had this realization. um, I told the people. They got very excited. And at the time, I was in San Francisco at the San Francisco organization there, and because of things that I was saying, they had to send me to Los Angeles to the advanced organization. Um, it's literally called Advanced Organization Los Angeles. And um, <laughs> so they sent me there and uh, through various processes, it was uh, verified that I was a last lifetime clear. So now I was basically a unicorn. I was what they like to call a we come So that means that in my past life, in my immediate previous life, I was a Scientologist and I had achieved the state of clear. And I was 14 at the time and I would think I was like one of maybe three children on the entire planet um, who had been verified as a last lifetime clear. So for me this was sort of a death sentence uh, in Scientology which I had no destiny at that point other than to become a Sea Org member because of course being a last-lifetime Scientologist, I know how important Scientology is, and obviously I've only come back to rejoin the ranks of people and to, <laughs> you know, uh, clear the planet. Wow. Yeah, so it was actually... That was actually, like, the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. Can I ask you... And Scientologically. Can I ask you, isn't... isn't when they find out that, that you're gay...
0: Does that okay. not contradict the comebacker theory?
1: Well, see, this was the big problem because when you're clear, you're not supposed to have any aberrations. Mm-hmm. Hang on a 2nd <coughs> You're supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to have any reactive mind. And of course, being gay is perverted and wrong. So you shouldn't even be able to be clear and be gay. Exactly. So it's a flaw. So what happened when I was on the RPF, um, they called into question my my clear status, of course, because I I must need more Dianetic processing to get rid of this terrible, terrible gayness. But when they re-verified it, surprise, it still got verified by their standards. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, they were kind of up shit's creek at that point. And so I was an anomaly. Like, how can you be gay... And be clear. And basically, what happens, even if you do go clear nowadays and in you're gay, in your you just won't go any farther. You will never get on to the upper levels, to the operating Satan levels. You will not be allowed to know the secret data that is all over the internet for anyone to find. Um,
0: and, <laughs> I'm still waiting to get sick
1: from, from reading yeah, that stuff. Just, right, you're going <laughs> to die. You're basically going to die. You're going to get pneumonia and die. That's, that's basically what you're told. So your whole body will explode. Um, if you know yeah. the data, And that's terrifying as a child because that's a certainty to you. I mean, when the article came out, the Time article in um, 1990, that, or was it 90 or 91? Anyway, one of those mm-hmm. years. The Time article that came out with the, you know, the octopus coming out of the volcano, the cult of greed, <laughs> that whole thing. I was in high school when that happened. And for whatever dumb reason, not really dumb, I mean, I had, I was, uh, you know, a Scientologist through and through, and I really believed that I was superior to these kids that I was in high school with because they weren't Scientologists and they didn't know the secrets of the universe. And I went to a regular school. I didn't go to special Scientology, you know, I didn't go to Scientology school. So, of course, I was superior to all these people because I'm I'm a last lifetime Clear, and they're just, you know, poor, poor wogs who don't know anything about the universe, and I know everything. I mean, it's, it's really an ego trip. And it's a terrible thing to give someone who's in the middle of puberty this uh, grandiose idea of themselves. <laughs>
0: well, because only Scientology can, can solve all these problems.
1: That's right. So, so you're friend, on, You got the end Yeah, you have all the data. A friend told me about that article. He really did. He wasn't my friend. He hated me. But he was like, hey, did you know your, your religion made the cover of Time? I was like, what? Oh, that's <laughs> amazing. I'm going to go check that out. So I went to the library, and then I see the cover, and I was like, oh, my God, I was I, was, I stole it. I stole it from the library. I have never, like, stolen anything in my life. And I was, like, running for my life with this disgusting magazine that I didn't want anybody else to read. And, of course, I locked myself in a bathroom stall and read the whole article. And then I knew I'm going to get pneumonia now and die. I'm going to – that's it. My life is over. And I called my, my father and my godfather, who were both on the upper OT levels, who both – first, my godfather's reaction was just to laugh at me. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why would you even think that's true? So Scientologists are trained to lie. When they're given, confronted with the actual data from the OT levels, you are like drilled to just go, that's ridiculous. Even though they're reading it to you, like word for word. It's a reaction. It's like a reflex. Exactly. But my father's reaction was his typical reaction, which as soon as I said it to him, he goes, well, does that remind you of anything? Do you recall being told that before? And this was really the problem for me growing up. My mother... Um, very much was like you can choose Scientology or not like I don't care whatever you want to do you can do it but Scientology has to be your choice you have to decide you want to do it my father on the other hand they got divorced when I was eight so when I would go visit my dad living in LA he would literally take me to Scientology recruiters and just pimp me out he'd be like hey this is my daughter Nora she's 11 she's smart what do you got for her wow. and then like we'd sit there for hours while these people would hammer into me and he'd be like doesn't that sound great do you want to do that you know You know, and being a girl with you know typical daddy issues, of course I wanted to please my father, and of course my mom was just rude and a bitch, and she didn't know what she was talking about, and she was just stopping me from saving the whole planet. What an asshole! Right? I mean, it it just it really complicated things, and then on top of that, getting declared a last lifetime clear, and then existing in high school as the sole Scientologist in a school full of kids who were like. I like you, but this is crazy. Like, you do know that this is a cult, right? Like, mm, I don't know why you're in it and you can't see it. I mean, I, you know, and stupidly telling people, yeah, I'm a Scientologist. Like, I don't, you know, oh, my goodness. It's already hard enough to be in high school and then doing that oh, to yourself. You were proud at the time. Yeah, I was I was completely proud of it in, in, in a very peacocking way uh, for about the first two years of high school. And then... My junior year, I did not wear my clear bracelet or my Scientology. I had a little uh, Scientology pendant. I stopped wearing that. Um, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to do high school right now. Like, I don't, I don't care. And then every time I would visit my dad, I would get talked into signing the billion-year contract. And then they would call my mom, who had legal custody of me. And she'd be like, so fuck yourself. You're not uh, – No no, I'm not finding it. No, 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 no. And then she would get really mad and we'd have a fight about it. And then I'd have to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. And you know, it just was like this never ending routine. So when I moved to Los Angeles, um, at 18, after I graduated, cause I was offered a really, really great job at a Scientology school, teaching PE, um, <laughs> at the age of 18 with no teaching credential, no experience teaching, but Hey, I have a track suit and a whistle. That's all I need, right? Like I'm ready to go. Were you athletic? Uh, Oh, I, was very, I, I lettered in three sports. I, oh, wow. Basketball, softball, and tennis. Um, I've been playing basketball since I was seven. Um, nice. I, lo- you know, I don't look athletic now. That's what happens when you herniate two discs and break three ribs and almost die by electrocution in the RPF and then have two children. Um, I'm working my way back to uh, fitness, and it's been a really long run.
0: Well, we can't, we can't go off past that. You say we, we, electro-shock. <laughs> electrosho- transformation therapy
1: type of thing? No, 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 no. I didn't get electroshock therapy. I was shocked by... I got electrocuted. It was an accident. Um, Oh, oh, okay. got voltage electrocuted. No, no, no. They don't (laughs) say There's no shock therapy in Scientology, but on the RPF, I was physically abused. I have, you know, the medical records and other things to prove it, but three broken ribs, two herniated discs, getting electrocuted. Um, I spent a summer almost bleeding to death. You know, I... When I left, I was not only broken mentally, I was very much broken physically as well. And it's taken 14 years, almost 15 now, to basically recover physically and mentally um, from that. And I'm still in the process of recovery. I'm not 100% recovered, you know, um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm also not as broken um, as I was 15 years ago when I left. No.
0: And even though they're're they're hurting you physically and they are um, basically um, I say they stripped you of your identity um, which they do they, they don't, you don't have to be gay for this to happen they strip everybody of their identity you, you become the Scientology uh, Stepford wife type of thing um, yeah. but 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 it's deeper uh, for you uh, for, for your situation
1: well, because, you're, because you're all you're all immersed your family's in it um, and and you do believe, 100% that, you know, you are going to lose your eternity. And that's terrifying. But more terrifying than that is really the thought of losing your family, the thought of losing my mother. My father died when I was 19, just like, I want to say nine months after I joined the Sea Org. Um, he passed away, a massive heart attack. Mm, sorry. Uh, so I'd already lost my father. And now, you know, after working for five years, uh, I got sent to the RPF. And then it was like, you know, a constant like, well, you know, you're going to get declared suppressive, and your mom's never going to talk to you again. And even though in the back of my mind I knew my mom would never choose Scientology over me, there was like a one percent of me that thought, but what if she does? So it happens. What if she does? You know, it, it does happen. No. Was, it, oh no! I listen. I am so lucky. I am so fortunate to have the mother that I have, who when I left the Sea Organization, I didn't tell her how I had left. Um, which is super dramatic, I just said, oh, yeah, I just I finally left. She came home, and I was just sitting on the couch, and she's like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm home now. And she's like, are you home home, or are you home? Which meant, because I had blown, I had run away a few times uh, to her house, and then, you know, of course, we had to go back, and, you know, otherwise security shows up and tries to break the door down to physically take you back. So I decided to go back voluntarily so that, nobody was being assaulted in my parents' house. So when she asked that, I said, no, I'm home, home. And she ran to me and, like, scooped me up, and we were both crying, and she was like, I'm so happy yeah. that you're back. Like, it, it, I, I can't imagine having a parent who would be like, oh, you left the Seward? You're dead to me. Like, I can't, and I know people who that happened to. You know, And I'm, I'm so fortunate that I have the mom that I did, and that even despite the fact that she was still very much heavily involved with the church at the time, she was working for Narconon, and she was studying full-time Scientology, she allowed me to live in her house. She did not uh, even, we talked about Scientology for like one time, and I said, you know what, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. And this also before I told her everything that happened, I was just like, it's just not for me. Like, I'm, mm. I I just can't do it. And she was like, okay, you know, that makes me sad that you're not going to do it, but I respect that. You know, and that, again, even that even that got my mom in trouble. Like, why aren't you getting her to pay her freeloader debt? And my mom was like, because that's bullshit anyway. You know, like, <laughs> she was, yeah, she's a hippie from San Francisco, so she was already on the fringes of <laughs> Scientology. You know, they're like, oh, this lady's crazy, you mm-hmm. know, because she didn't uh, – fit the mold of a typical Scientologist. You know, she's a Democrat, which is also kind of a no-no in Scientology. Most Scientologists are staunch Republicans. Um, and even though, you know, you're not supposed to tell people who to vote for, they tell you who to vote for. You know, and that, was, that was big waves. The first election I voted in was um, Clinton in uh, 96. And I was like so proud that I had voted for Bill Clinton I got in trouble. Oh, wow. I mean, even despite the fact that Bill Clinton as president is the only president that's ever stuck up for Scientology at all and Madeleine Albright did her whole speech to Germany like you can't treat these people like this. They still hate him and they hated Hillary. They worked really hard against her in the election.
0: I, I can imagine uh, I, I imagine Donald Trump reminds a lot of people in Scientology of their leader. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, the, the,
1: 100%. The, like uh, He's very L. Ron Hubbard-ish. Um, he's complete well he's he's like L. Ron Hubbard without the big fancy word
0: which those words by by the way and and, and I don't want to offend anyone upset anyone because you know I I was talking to Kathy you know Kathy uh, Shankelberg, and uh, she put that note up that letter from her uh, I guess her daughter's godmother that said that it was disconnecting and said that she interpolated her and and yeah. Uh, that's that's not a word and I was saying that and I realized after I got <laughs> off the phone with Kathy that I, I, Kathy seemed surprised or confused by my like, oh yeah and turbulent like oh my god I, I kind of inadvertently laughed at Kathy because to Kathy <laughs> maybe that's still a word you know well, and, and you hear the self, self-selfness in it's, it's,
1: its own language
0: yeah it, it's, it's not even pig. it's ridiculous but yeah. you, you you can't just forget it you can't just
1: it doesn't just go away. No, no, and this, it is a process. I mean, part of um, recovering fully from Scientology, in my opinion, and this is validated in a few people's books, Steve Hassan, um, and his Freedom of Mind uh, Institute or uh, his group that he runs, um, you know, he's a cult expert, and John Atak has written a book, A Piece of Blue Sky, that talks about this also, but part of recovering from any cult, whether it's Scientology or the Moonies or whatever, is stripping yourself of the nomenclature. And that's one thing that's so hard when you are not associating with Scientologists anymore and you're working in the real world, you cannot talk like you talk to Scientologists. Like, for example, if I'm a, a manager and somebody's not getting something done fast enough and I, you know, this, I've been waiting for it and I'm, now I'm pissed off, in the real world, I would say, listen, you were supposed to get this done by 3 o'clock I don't know what, what you're complaining about. You've had two days to get this done. You need to get it done right now, or else, you know, uh, I'm going to have to find somebody else to do it. And this is, you know, we're going to have to go to HR and review your status here. Like that, that conversation makes sense, right? Like it's right. clear what's happening. Okay, so if I'm a Scientologist and I'm communicating the same message to somebody, I say, listen, knock off your fucking HENR on posts. And this is total <laughs> dev T now for me because this is, you know, you're off target. Okay, so that's it, man. You're, you're, you're in danger.
0: What the and hell are you talking about, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. If a Scientologist just listened to what I said, they know exactly what I said. Everyone else is going, what is that gobbledygook coming out of this woman's mouth? H-E-N-R is short. Is, is, Scientology loves acronyms, okay? they got an acronym for every. they got an acronym for acronyms. But um, uh, H-E-N-R stands for Human Emotion and Reaction. And this is actually the most key acronym used in Scientology because in Scientology, human emotion and reaction, if you think about that, like someone tells you, oh, I'm sorry, your father passed away, and you bawl your eyes out. That is considered H-E-N-R. It's considered a negative reaction. Like, yes, have some grief, but, you know, don't stay in it too long because that's tea, which is developed traffic, which means your, your work is piling up. You're not flowing through your work and getting it completed fast enough. So that phrase, uh, H-E-N-R, is used a lot to get people to stop having emotions um, in a moment. So if you're getting angry because someone's screaming in your face, that's H-E-N-R. If you are upset because you've been asked to stay up all night until you sell 50 books, that's H-E-N-R. If you become disillusioned with Scientology because they put you in a concentration camp because you're gay, that's H-E-N-R. So everything that isn't you shutting up and doing what they've told you to do is AKNR and yeah. it's a bad thing. Wow. So you get, is... you get these things hammered into you where you're not allowed to have emotions. You're not allowed um, to not get things done to full completion on an immediate basis. So you become frantic all the time. I mean, when I, first, I took my first job after leaving, and I'll never forget, after I'd been there like a week, I was sitting at my desk eating lunch. And I was working at basically, like, a call-in center, and I was still taking calls while I was eating lunch. And I'm in the middle of a call, and my supervisor comes over and says, like, I need to see you when you're done with this call. I'm like, okay. So I wrap up the call, and I'm shoveling food in my mouth, and I walk over to her desk, and she's like, listen, um, you need to clock out for lunch. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm just, I'm almost done, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just almost, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have taken, like, all those bites. Like, I'll just keep working. And she's like, no you have to clock out. I'm like, oh no, 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 I really don't. She's like, no, like legally you have to clock out. You have to take a lunch hour or we could be sued. And I'm like what? Wait, I could sue you
0: if you don't give me lunch? Like what is, what? (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: This is not the world you know.
1: (laughs) No. I mean she was looking at me like I was an alien. Right. Because I was literally like inhaling food. I was taking five minutes maybe to eat like an entire meal. And then you know, sitting and continuing to work, like, people looked at me like, you're a freak, you know, and I was like, "Um, I'm sorry you don't have the worst ethic that I do, but I'm here to get shit done. that mentality, yep. (laughs) It's it's very hard to leave. I mean, I still, when I go out with friends or I uh, go out with my family, it it takes effort for me to not, like, prison-style eat my food, like, literally throw my left arm in front of my plate and just shovel things in my mouth as fast as I can because that's the franticness that you get, when, especially when you're on the RPF. You have 20 minutes for your meal. 20 minutes, which includes standing in line with hundreds of people to get the food and fighting for it and then sitting down and shoveling it in your face before it's time to go back to work. So you don't, in, you know, it's, I, I have to say to myself in my mind, like, enjoy it. Right. Enjoy the food. savor, You know, taste, taste the flavors. Take your time. It's, you know, you have as much time as you want to eat this meal <laughs> you know and it's, it's like weird things like that that stick with you because you it becomes just part of you and that's part of recovering from it part of recovering from Scientology is getting rid of these words that are gobbledygook that mean nothing and really learning to speak like a human again and uh, interacting with people and really just you know a, the other thing that I've been working on that I really kind of cracked open this year um, in therapy which was terrifying to go to um, Was expressing my own own emotions as I'm having them instead of bottling it up and then, you know, exploding later over something stupid that has nothing to do with why I'm upset. So actually just being able to feel things. Being human. Yeah. Being a human being. You have to relearn that. And it's, uh, you know, it's a daunting process. I mean... Uh, as most people know, obviously I'm gay. We've said that like 25 times now. Are you? Um, and what? <laughs> and I asked you on my show. Oh, man, what am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, out of when I left the org, my family once again was tremendously amazing. They're like, "So you're gay? Great. Go date girls. Have a good time." Like that was their attitude. Literally, that's what my godfather said to me. <laughs> like he right. threw like a, a welcome home party for me. He's like, "So you're lesbian now? Great." <laughs> I'm like what? You know.
0: All right, but it doesn't end there. There's a whole lot more to cover, plus 10 questions with Nora Crest uh, coming up next Friday on another extra special edition of the Scientology coverage when we'll come get some. Um, Kayla uh, called in the, that, that whole thing with the CCHR. It, it's practically its own show, so I wanted to make sure we didn't uh, take up all Nora's time with that uh, for her for a conversation I had with her. So definitely please, Kayla, email CGS here at gmail.com. If anybody else has something they want to say on either side of any kind of fight, CGS here at gmail.com. That's C G S H E R E at Gmail dot com. I look forward uh to be continued with Kayla. I wanna know what she has to say and I wanna know um uh how we can talk about this and open in and openness. And that's something that we've been looking for, right? We finally got somebody sort of kinda of, in a way has a different point of view than we've been hearing and we can actually debate it and talk about it so it's it's kind of exciting until then wow I'm exhausted until then uh, stay connected and that about sums it up you guys have a great week I'll talk to you later I'm getting down to the sum of this the sum of that the sum of everything. Come, come, get it.